So speaking of healing, um, y'all know Matt Roskin. Uh, he's our youth pastor. You'll remember a few weeks ago, he got up here and preached, and he told a story about uh, me stealing his steak. And I have to confess that I did that. It was for his own good. Uh, Matt has, for five years, had a, an intestinal disease. And there were very few things he could eat. Uh, he told me, he said, I've, I've basically been eating six things for five years. He could eat uh, baked chicken with nothing on it, no seasoning. He could eat uh, baked uh, turkey, same way, nothing on it. And he could eat a broiled steak with nothing on it uh, and some raw vegetables. That's pretty much what he ate. And so he, he cooked a nice steak here in the office one day, and he left it on a table out there while he was talking to his wife. And uh, I ate his steak. You know, I ate the whole thing. Um, so uh, we, went, we went to one camp a couple of weeks ago, and at camp, uh, Matt had about 15 older high school and college guys come and ask if they could pray for him. And they prayed for him, and he was healed completely. Yeah. Now, the good news is that Matt was healed. Bad news is he's eating everything. He is eating everything he sees. And so uh, Lynn Sanders, who, who goes to church here, many of you know her, uh, she makes my favorite dessert. It is a blueberry peach pie. And she made me one, and she brought it, and she left it on my desk. <laughs> and I came into the office, and on my desk, I found half a pie with a note that said, you were out, you took a break. I ate your pie, you ate my steak. <laughs> so, uh, but God is good. Matt is literally, he came in this morning and he, he had on a new shirt and he looked at me and he said, extra large, extra large. So uh, he's doing well, but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe doing too well right now, uh, enjoying eat all the things that he hasn't eaten. Uh, in years. So uh, thank you, Lord. We've been looking for the last few weeks. We, for three weeks, we, we walked back through the river stones. And these were stones that, that God had given us uh, 20 years ago when we were first starting the church, 20, 21, 22 years ago, when we were first starting the church and kind of the stones that we wanted to pull out of the river that would represent the vision that God was giving us and beginning to shape and, and mold in us. And these are the things that, that we are believing God for and the things that we're celebrating uh, about God and things that we feel God calling us to. And uh, we've walked back through those things just to remind us of who we are and where we're going. And, and you know, the story of the river stones in Joshua 4 is that God tells him, go back in, get the stones, set up a, an altar so that when coming generations ask, what do these stones mean? You can point to the stones and, and tell them about the power of God. You can tell them about the things that I've done on your behalf. And so the idea is to pass from one generation to the next uh, the things that God has done 
uh, to encourage us and to, to increase our faith. And so we're going to look today, uh, in just a few minutes, we're going to look at chapter 5 of Joshua, which is the next, uh, next part of the story. And if we get into chapter 5, uh, we need to understand something about the end of chapter 4. Uh, after the stones are gathered and, and you know, the priests bring them out and they, they pile them up and, and they point to them, and that, you know, this is going to be the stones of remembrance. Uh, verse 18, everyone has crossed the river. And they're safely on the side of the river where the promised land is. And verse 18 says, The waters of the Jordan returned to their place and went over all its banks as before. It seems like just an innocent verse that you would just think, you just read through that and you think, okay, obviously God raised up the river and made dry land so they could cross over and obviously, once they're across, it makes sense that the river would close back up. But think of it this way, all. They have left the wilderness. They crossed over on dry land into a land that God has promised them, but also a land that is filled with enemies. And the door closed behind them. There's no going back. They can't go back where they were. They have crossed into this place, really, of warfare, and God has closed the door behind them and said, you must go forward. And that really is his call. It's his call for all of us. You know, there are times we hit a hard place, a difficult spot in life, and we just want to go back. We want to retreat. We even say things like, I just I want to go back to the way things were. I know that there's nobody in this room who has said, in the last 18 months, I want to go back to the way things were, Right? Nobody has thought that. We've just so enjoyed the way things are. Maybe not. Maybe we have said that, but I, I want to say clearly that the way out is forward, not backwards. The way out of hardship, the way out of difficulty is not to back up, but it's, it's to go forward. And that's why God closes the wall behind them. Remember this about Joshua. So way back when, when Moses is leading the people and they, they, they make their exodus from Egypt and they get into the wilderness and they get to the place where they can actually see the promised land. Short time has passed and they, they can see the promised land and, and Moses sends 12 spies to check out the land. And he doesn't, go, he doesn't send them to go and see if it's a land that they can win. They're just supposed to bring back a report what does it look like? What's the fruit like? Because this is a land that God has promised them, and 12 of them go, and when they come back, 10 of them give bad reports. We can't do this. There are giants that live there. We should just stay where we are. We should stay where we are because it's going to be difficult over there. We look like grasshoppers to them. Now, I don't know how they knew what they looked like to other people, but that's what they said. There were two people. We said, we, we can so do this. We can so take this land, y'all. We can do this. God will give it to us. And the two that said that were Joshua and Caleb. And the, and the scripture says about them that they were different. They were different because they followed the Lord fully. Fully. And so now, fast forward, a whole generation has died in the wilderness. A whole generation has died, 
And Joshua is now the leader with a new generation of people, and they've crossed over, and the door's closed behind them, and before them is the land that God has promised. But it's also a land that will be given to them as they obey, not as they sit passively where they are, but as they move forward in obedience, this land will be given to them. So let's take a look at at Joshua chapter 5 and see if there's some things that we can learn from that. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. Oh boy. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Harleth. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, While camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come now. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground and in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have For his servant. The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. Joshua did so. Now let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray that uh, we would have ears to hear what you want to say to us. I pray that our hearts would be soft so that you can shape us and mold us 
the things that you want to do in us, Lord, the deep things that you want to do in us to make us more like you, to make us more like Jesus. We open ourselves to you and we say, come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So the people cross over, they cross uh, the river, they're, they're over there in the, in the promised land, this land that's flowing with milk and honey. They're excited about it. Uh, they're headed into something new. The Lord has miraculously provided for them over and over and over again. They're full of anticipation. They're full of expectation. And they look back and the river has closed up behind them. There is no way out. And they're in enemy territory. And there's no turning back. They've crossed the river. They've gathered stones. They've celebrated God's power. And their 40-year journey in the wilderness has come to a close. And they know that right there, just right there, is a battle. An enemy that they can see. We know the next story is the story of Jericho. And we know. We know how that goes. We've read the story. We know it's an amazing thing. God tells them, just march around the city. You won't even have to fight. Just march around the city. The walls will fall down. It'll be over. They didn't know that then. We know that now. We know the story. We've read it. We know how it goes. But they're standing there looking ahead and looking back and realizing there's no way to go but forward. And that forward means a battle. And that's where they're headed. But the way in, the way deeper with God, the way to winning, the way to success with God is always forward. It's not backwards. And so he closes the door behind him and says, come on. Invading the darkness to claim the lost for God. Whether it's Jericho or whether it's the city of Kennesaw or Cobb County, when you invade the darkness to take back what the enemy has stolen, to win a city, to win a region for the king of kings, when you engage, that engagement usually starts with worship, but quickly moves into warfare. Uh, Frank Damasio wrote a book called crossing rivers and taking cities. And he says it this way, the good news is that God is more powerful than all of the demonic forces. The bad news is the river just closed and there's no turning back. So the only way out is forward. Many of us in the last year have looked back. But guys, God is calling us forward. He's calling us to press through to get to the next place, to get to a better place. There are three things that happen in Gilgal uh, that I want us to see today. Because before they go to Jericho to begin battle, there's something that God wants to do in Gilgal. The first thing that happens in Gilgal is that the people are circumcised. The people are circumcised. There's a whole generation of people that have been born in the wilderness so as we read a minute ago, the previous generation, all of the people who were of fighting age when they left Egypt, all of them have died. They were, they were all circumcised before. They've all passed away. They've died out. And now we've got a whole generation of people that have been born in the wilderness, and they have not been circumcised. And so God 
tells Joshua to sharpen up some rocks and circumcise the people. And there are a couple of things that this circumcision represents. Number one is the renewal of covenant, the renewal of their covenant with God. Um, The generation that left Egypt was disobedient. They broke covenant with God, and they just grumbled, and they complained. And because of their disobedience, God told them, you're not going to see it. You're not going to get to go there. And so they've all died out because of their disobedience. And this renewal of covenant is a recommitment to obedience. Now, there's some things we need to understand about obedience because sometimes we think that disobedience means just going backwards. And and sometimes it is that. But going forward in the wrong way is also disobedience. And just sitting complacent where you are, is also disobedient. And so the people had to go forward to be obedient. They had to go to Jericho to be obedient. But they couldn't go to Jericho any other way except the way that God told them to go. And so this is a renewal of covenant. It's a renewal of a covenant that is born in obedience. The renewal of their covenant is a recommitment to obedience. This renewal symbolizes their commitment to to move actually into a new level, a deeper place with God. For us, the call to circumcision, which is similar to what we talked about a few weeks ago, this call to consecration is to be set apart for God. And to be willing to say, I'm I'm going to go the way of obedience. I'm not going to go the easy way. I'm not going to go the quick way. I'm going to go the way of obedience. So God, you tell me where you want me to go, what you want me to do, even who you want me to be, and I will go. There's a recommitment to obedience. We talked about consecration, meaning setting ourselves apart and making ourselves available to and for God. And so this renewal of covenant is exactly that. It is setting ourselves before God and saying, here I am. Here I am. I belong to you. The second thing that this uh, circumcision represents is a cutting away of flesh. Obedience, obviously, is a part of this covenant, but also cutting away of flesh. Before we can win cities for Jesus, there are things in us that have to be cut away. There are attitudes, and there are habits, and there are sins, and there are compromises. There are doubts and fears. There are all sorts of things. There are even some beliefs that we have that have to be cut away so that we can go forward in the name of the Lord. When, when people look at us, if, they, if we want them to hear a message of faith, guess what we have to have? Faith. If we want them to hear a message of freedom, we have to have freedom. If we want them to hear a message of healing, we have to be healed. If we want them to hear a message of love, we have to love. 
And so we can't preach a message that we don't live. We can't preach a message effectively unless we live it. And so God is calling us to go under the knife. God is calling us to present ourselves to him so that he can cut away all of the flesh that hinders, all of the flesh that gets in the way. Scripture talks about, in Romans, making our bodies a living sacrifice. You know what the problem with a living sacrifice is? It has a tendency to crawl off the altar. (laughs) And that's who we are. We're not a dead piece of flesh. We're a living sacrifice. And we present ourselves to God. He puts us on the altar. And the truth is, you can crawl off anytime you want. But when you crawl off, you lose. Because you didn't allow God, or you don't allow God to finish the process of cutting away the things that slow you down, the things that hold you back, the things that keep you from being the man or the woman that God has called you to be. Circumcision is the cutting away of the past. It's cutting away of the things that hinder, cutting away of all of the things that will keep us from being who God has called us to be. Now, a very practical way, you can just about guess that circumcision will leave you vulnerable and exposed. And the circumcision of our heart will also leave us vulnerable and exposed. And sometimes it's painful. It can be incredibly painful to present yourself to the Lord as a living sacrifice and say, God, cut me. It can be painful. And it will require time often to heal. There is obviously a call and a need, actually a necessity of staying in Gilgal for a season because we have to be healed. We have to be strong because God wants to take a strong, healthy army into Jericho, into battle. Verse 8 says, Now it came about when they had finished circumcising all the nation, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. So there, there is a place for resting. There is a place for staying in a spot and allowing God to heal. But it's not a permanent, it's not a permanent spot. It is a purpose, purposeful spot. We're called to rest and heal so that we can go forward in obedience to win for the Lord. God wants a healthy church to place in battle. So the first thing that happens in Gilgal is that the people are circumcised. The second thing that happens is that they celebrate the Passover. Verse 10 says, while the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover. Now, the Israelites were Passover people. This is a huge thing for them. It's incredibly important because when they were in Egypt and, and the plagues were coming, the Lord told them to anoint the doorposts with blood. And that when they did, the death angel would pass over them. 
and they wouldn't die. And so they, they were saved, get this, they were saved by the blood. And you and I are the same. Just as the Israelites' houses were marked by the blood, your life is marked by the blood. And so they celebrate the Passover because they know that everything going forward is dependent upon the blood. And we celebrate the Passover. We're actually Passover people ourselves. The Passover that we celebrate is the finished work of the cross because that is where the blood of Jesus is applied to our lives. And you and I are marked by the blood. And everything that we are able to do going forward is because of the blood. Without the blood, there is nothing that we have to offer. Without the blood, there's nothing that you have to offer to the nations. Without the blood, there's nothing that you have to offer to this region. Without the blood, there's nothing you have to offer to this city. Without the blood, there's nothing you have to offer to this church. Without the blood, there's nothing you have to offer to your family. Everything that we have, everything that we have to offer comes to us by virtue of the fact that we are marked by the blood. So they celebrate the Passover. And then the third thing that happens at Gilgal is that Joshua, as they're preparing, as they're going through this time of healing, and he's getting ready to, to lead them to Jericho, and he knows the battle is coming. And he has an encounter with a being, a person, with a sword. And you can imagine, they're about to go into battle. And Joshua sees this rather impressive figure with a sword. Wouldn't you want to know who they were for? You're about to go into battle. He sees this person that he doesn't recognize. And so the obvious question is, are you for us or are you for them? And the answer seems odd to us. The answer is neither. Neither. We really want to know. We really want to think and believe that God is for us, right? I mean, we say, God, we know you're for us. We sing songs, God, we know you're for us. But actually, Joshua asks the captain of the Lord's army, are you for us? And he said, no, neither. I'm not for you. I'm not for them. It wasn't that the answer was odd. The question was wrong. The question was wrong because Joshua, what he should have said is not, are you for us? What he should have said is, are we for you? Are we for you? And this captain of the Lord's army tells Joshua, I'm, I'm the captain of the Lord's army. And this is, in the Old Testament, what we call a theophany, which is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. And so Jesus speaks to Joshua and says, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not for either, but are, are you for me? You need to be for me. I'm the captain of the Lord's army, and you need to take off your shoes because the place where you're standing is holy. 
And so Joshua falls on his face to worship. He pulls his shoes off and he has an encounter with the living Christ. Now, I've been preaching without my shoes on for about 30 years and I have been asked so many times, I can't tell you how many times I've been asked, why do you take off your shoes to preach? And it started with this passage. It started with this passage in Joshua. And, and here's my personal take on it. I, I know that the angel of the Lord, the, or the captain of the Lord's army, Jesus, says to Joshua, take off your shoes because this place is holy. It's holy ground. And I get that. And, and people think, well, you know, you shouldn't wear shoes on holy ground. But, but there's something else about it that grabs my attention. I believe that the invitation of the Lord to Joshua is, this place is holy. Why don't you come in and stay a while? You don't ask somebody to take their shoes off if you expect them to leave right away. Come on in, take off your shoes, stay here with me. And so my goal, anytime I stand to preach, my, my hope, my goal is that we would enter into that place of encounter where really what I'm saying would become so secondary that our primary experience would be that we encounter the Lord together. And when that happens, I know the first thing he's going to say is, won't you take off your shoes and stay a while? So I'm just ahead of you all. I just took my shoes off ahead of time expecting that that was coming. But I really believe that if we all expected it, and I'm not saying you have to take your shoes off, but if we all expect to enter into the place of encounter, don't you think it's more likely to happen? That is the place that God is calling us. He's calling us into the place of encounter. Now, at Gilgal, they have a place of encounter. But they don't say, oh, wow, this is great. Let's build a tabernacle here and just stay at Gilgal forever. This is exactly what God called us out of Egypt for. They enjoy that encounter with the Lord. They're changed by it. And then they go take Jericho. And that is the call of God on our lives. He calls us to be consecrated, to be circumcised, to be set apart, to be marked by his blood, to dwell in his presence, all of those things, so that he can send us out to have impact on our world for his kingdom. There are things that he wants to do in us. There are things that he wants to do in us so that he can do things through us. We love the presence. We don't necessarily love the knife. We love the presence, the cutting, not so much. But guys, we got to have both. We got to have both. We got to go under the knife and let God cut away the things that hinder, the things that hold us back so that we can be the people he's called us to be, so that we can do the things he's called us to do. Now, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your presence. I also want to thank you today for your knife. 
Thank you for the knife. And I pray you would continue to cut away the flesh. Cut away the flesh. Cut away everything in us, everything in me that stands in the way, that stands between where we are and where you want us to be. We, we invite you, God, to do everything that you want, everything that you desire to do in us so that you can do all that you desire to do through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to ask our ministry teams to come, if you would. Uh, just come and get in place and get ready. Uh, we want to take some time uh, to pray for people. Encourage you to come today if you need prayer. Uh, we've got folks that would love to pray for you up here in the front. And uh, whatever your need today, it could be that you need physical healing or spiritual healing. Uh, maybe there's some stuff that you know, some flesh that needs to be cut away, and you just want to come and, and have some, somebody pray for you in that regard. Whatever it is that you need, I encourage you to take advantage of this time uh, to have people pray for you. Uh, we, we don't have to do everything by ourselves. In fact, we're not supposed to do everything by ourselves. Uh, we're better together. And God has put us in family so that we can help each other. So I encourage you to take advantage uh, of an opportunity to be prayed for. Um, once you stand, I'm going to pray for us. And uh, Austin's going to lead us in some worship. And uh, encourage you to, to come and take advantage of, of prayer today. Uh, Lord, we love the way you work. We love the way you move in us. Uh, we, we love Lord, the fact that uh, you continue to pursue us. You continue to call us. You continue to work in us your good pleasure to equip us to empower us to transform us into the image of your son and so we lean towards you today and we say have your way in Jesus name